Emergency, the exits are here, 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 anywhere. Keep your hands and arms inside the carpet. We name is Hades, Lord of the Dead. Hi, how you doing? We dance, we kiss, we schmooze, we carry on, we go home happy. What do you say? Come on. I only hope that we never lose sight of one thing that was all started by a mouse. Disney guys uncensored this is episode 160 recorded Tuesday November 15th 2022 that is guy he is Tim and I am Bub and on tonight's glorious episode we are going back some would say to the future because we are going to ride the movies one more time as we bring back our award-winning concept of nine reasons and tonight we present our wish list of nine things that we hope come to Universal Studios' brand new theme park, Universal Studios Epic Universe. It's a mouthful, and we're going to talk about that. So stand back, because when this podcast hits 88 miles per hour, you're going to see some serious shit. Tim, what do we got tonight? Well, thanks for that intro, Bob. Uh, hopefully we don't get flagged as explicit, because you, you had to throw that right in there I at hope the so. end. I hope so couple news stories tonight uh first off disney kind of dropped out of nowhere a co-branded three minute short um called zen grogu and the dust bunnies uh this was co-branded with studio ghibli it was entirely produced in-house by that team uh really really beautiful only three minutes long in this uh very japanese ink painting sumai style uh totally silent just with a, a a musical score very cute uh, all I can say is if you have three minutes, watch it. It's very chill. And hopefully this means that Studio Ghibli will be doing a full length episode of Star Wars Visions season two. As we know, no, that has been announced. Uh, Wakanda Forever finally hit the theaters, uh, made a handsome take of $180 million for its opening weekend, which is right at, or believe it or not, slightly below expectations, ever so slightly. Uh, still a huge box office movie is going to make boatloads of money. Disney is definitely counting on this one to uh, carry them through the holiday season. Uh, Strange Worlds is coming out next week, but this is their big play for the Thanksgiving season. Um, Bob, what did you think? I know you, uh, you went to go, go see it for, for the interest of the podcast. Well, yeah. I mean, obviously everything I do is, uh, for the podcast, Tim, you know that even when I'm out selling candy bars at the local supermarket, I am doing that for the podcast. Um, so here's the thing. I don't think it's for everyone. And when I say that, I specifically mean this might be the most adult Marvel movie of the 30-ish, 30-ish, 35-ish, however many there are. Um, so, and what I mean by that is it's not overly gory. It's not overly um, crass in any way. It just deals with, obviously, a lot of grief and a lot of loss. And it, I will tell you I loved it. I thought it was fantastic. Um, the 12-year-old child next to me was very unimpressed and disinterested about halfway through. And uh, it's it's not a typical 
bang, bang, shoot them up, a lot of spectacle. There are three or four set pieces, Tim, like we talked about. But to me, this was the most grown up of the the Marvel movies. And I'm happy that it was. I thought it was a really nice tribute to, to Chadwick Boseman. And I, I think they did a really nice job with it. Ryan Coogler, and I think this one we talked about, his resume just keeps getting more impressive from Fruit of Vale Station to uh, Creed to the, both Black Panther movies and stuff that he's produced. I mean, that that he's it's incredible what Ryan Coogler has done in the short amount of time that he's been making movies. I we we talk about it a lot. Every I think we talk about it every time Marvel comes up in in the last couple of months uh, on the podcast. But I almost wonder if this is going to be where we see Marvel fatigue kind of setting in further. Uh, that $180 million number falls right between um, Doctor Strange and Multiverse of Madness mm. and Thor. Strange at number one, and that, of course, was coming off the big Spider-Man hype, uh, right. where that movie was literally in theaters for, I think, six or eight months and mm. was kind of a direct continuation of that story. So people were very excited about that. And then Thor, which, while doing numbers that would make almost every studio extremely happy, kind of underperformed Disney's expectations and had a very steep week over week drop off. Mm -hmm. So we're going to follow this one and we'll report back um, probably next week or the week after about what what the drop off was. But I do wonder if this is our indication that Marvel fatigue is really starting to hit audiences. But I would like to opine that I'm okay with it. I think if this allows them to reset a little bit and make better, more meaningful movies, instead of just churning out 12 movies in three years, I'm okay. I I don't know that the quality will get better. That's just me wishing for it. But if this requires them to take a step back and reevaluate how they're doing Marvel movies, I'm perfectly okay if it means that they're going to readjust how they do it. It doesn't mean they will, but I'm for that if, if, if this is what it leads to. I, hopefully Disney and Marvel Studios can't can have that more conscientious take, although uh, one story this week kind of makes me think they might not. Uh, definitely the big story this week and the one that dropped today, Walt Disney World will see ticket price increases. Uh, not a surprise. Uh, this just happened a couple weeks ago at Disneyland. A uh, little bit more interesting is how they are doing it. The ticket price increases hit on December 8th, April. Annual passes are not back on sale yet, but will have an increase when they do come back between $50 and $100, depending on the pass level. And Park Hopper is staying the same. You make a reservation and you can hop after 2 p.m. to a park that has availability. Uh, The interesting part is how the ticket price increases for the other tickets were done. Uh, It is ticket price is now going to not only vary by date, but also by park. So Animal Kingdom will actually stay the same, seasonal increase. So those tickets are gonna be from $109 to $159 for a single day, single park ticket to Animal Kingdom, which is the same price as a single day, single park ticket for any of the parks right now. Disney's Hollywood Studios will see a price increase to $124 to $179. Epcot, $114 to $179. This is the range of price depending on the date, not previously it was $114, now it's $179. So you will be paying between $114 and $179 depending on the date you would like to go to Epcot. And Magic Kingdom will see price increase all the way up from to $124 to $189 
per day. Very steep increases and a system that further controls guest flow uh, to which park they are going to on which days and discourages people from packing into Magic Kingdom and packing into Hollywood Studios uh, without making a conscientious choice about it. I am not super keen on this. Uh, Guy, you seemed a little bit more almost positive on this when I uh, when I dropped this news on you. Yeah, it's a little bit crazy on my end, but just as someone who visits the parks as a tourist, I really appreciate this. I think the way they're going to be dynamically priced is just to try to keep the locals out on specific days. Uh, you know, Fourth of July, Christmas, New Year's Day. Um, it looks like they're kind of reserving those days more for. Uh, hotel guests. Um, and I think that's really where you're going to see the more dynamic pricing. I think in general, it's going to be probably towards the lower end. I think like the the higher end of the spectrum, the 189 for Magic Kingdom, the 179 for Hollywood Studios and Epcot. I think those are going to be few and far between. But I think this is really just trying to decongest Magic Kingdom uh, from all the local traffic that they've been dealing with. Yeah, and my feelings a lot less positive. And honestly, I couldn't have said it better than a friend of the show tweeted uh, when this came out. Carly Wiesel said, variable pricing for park hopper tickets while still being stuck at one park till the late afternoon. Price increases on products that aren't even for sale. What a time to be alive. Well said, Carly. And uh, that sums up my feelings on it. And lastly, for news this week, we have our first fallout from Disney's disappointing earnings report. Bob Chapek has circulated a memo and press release uh, warning of layoffs within the Walt Disney Company. The memo seems like the layoffs will affect the corporate and especially studios side of the company. Uh, the parks are still understaffed and desperately trying to get more workers, though they are having a hard time with that, with the current workers very unhappy with pay and work conditions due to the understaffing. Um, this is not really a surprise when uh, they took such a tough drop on the stock and had such a large miss on earnings. And layoffs, unfortunately, especially in tech and Hollywood, we're seeing more and more in the last couple of weeks. Uh, Meta, Facebook, Twitter, Amazon have all announced their largest layoffs ever in the last 10 days or so. Uh, many studios also have announced layoffs. So this doesn't come as a surprise, especially combined with that pretty disappointing earnings report, but still uh, kind of rough for Disney employees since they are in kind of high cost of living areas. And hopefully it does not lead to the quality of Disney's content suffering. Because I think we all agree that the Disney content is uh, pretty top notch right now. There, there can be complaints to be said about the theme parks and the way business practices are being done, but they are really producing some great film and television right now. Uh, so that's it for the news. Main topic this week, we're kind of heading back to uh, old standby that we haven't done on the cast recently some armchair imagineering or should i say some armchair universal creativing since uh, universal doesn't have a catchy name for their uh, art and engineering department at the parks uh i just thought this would be a good thing to talk about because it really looks like after d23 the question we've speculated a lot on is what was disney's answer to epic universes in uh you know oncoming 
imminent arrival in the Orlando uh, theme park uh, scene. So uh, we kind of want to put our money where our mouth is and, and come up with our, our dream list of, of what we'd love to see. Maybe not in the initial opening of uh, Epic Universe, but things that Universal definitely feasibly could do in you know phase two or three of that park. And this is this is just all pure fantasy booking on our part. This is definitely not anything that we have insider info on. Although I will say some of the things in this list is stuff that has been hinted at or would be a fit into announced concepts and lands at Epic Universe. So with that, uh, Bub, if you want to kick it off with your first idea. Yeah, I'm just excited that I'm not emceeing tonight. This is very rare for me to kind of sit back and just opine openly instead of trying to facilitate amongst the two of you clowns. So I'm excited to be the clown that's spewing ideas for no reason whatsoever. So let's get right to it, Timothy. This is epic universe, right? This is this is Universal's epic universe. I can think of nothing more epic, believe it or not, than to start at the end of the day where we are going to do a laser rock show featuring the history of Universal Music Group. And let me tell you, I, I do understand that Universal Music Group is a misnomer. It's owned by a French company. I, I get it. We're going to get the licensing back. And that will include uh, Lady Gaga, uh, Taylor Swift. Uh, just hate them or not, uh, you know, Kanye West in the news for all the wrong reasons is part of Universal Music Group currently as it stands. Um, just, I mean, there are... BTS, Billie Eilish, uh, Guns N' Roses, Rihanna, Jay-Z, Iron Maiden, Coldplay, every one of these artists in some way, shape, or form, whether it's through subsidiary or through Universal Music Group, have contracts with Universal. I got to tell you, think like Planetarium, LED, uh, you know, Led Zeppelin show, Pink Floyd show on steroids. We're going to have drones, fireworks, lasers. It's going to be the perfect ending to your day at Epic Universe. And I, I can think of the soundtrack alone would cost hundreds of millions of dollars. It would be fantastic. I think this is a great idea, Bob, because if there is one thing that Universal really lags behind Disney on, it's... Uh, nighttime spectaculars. I mean, I'm yeah. vaguely aware that at Universal Studios, there is a nighttime fountain show, I think. But yeah. uh, I've never bothered to see it. I don't know anybody who talks about it. Universal known for great parades, great seasonal events and stuff. Not so much about nighttime shows other than their seasonal Halloween Horror Nights exclusive spectacular that happens only during that premium ticketed event. And then, yeah, Universal Music Group, most of the biggest acts on the planet right now, their catalogs are held there. And, uh, you know, that's a, a, a great fit. So uh, that that would be some great synergy, I think, at it's, Epic hey, Universe. And it, it, it sounds freaking epic to, uh, to quote right. Family Guy. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's the way to do it. And I think there's, I mean, we think it's so... Not primitively, but we think when we think of Disney, we think of Universal, we think of strictly the movies and, and that visual medium of entertainment. I think to be able to pull from and I think Disney is missing the boat on not having something similar to this because their catalog, while probably not as adult oriented, is so expansive that they could do any number of shows with their music. I, I think it's something that both companies do legitimately lack. They focus so much on the visual medium as opposed to doing 
something a little bit more esoteric visually with their with their songbooks. I, I just it's a missed market for both companies, I think. For sure, for sure. Guy, what's your first idea? So my first idea is um, gonna be a kind of a new take on Abbott and Costello uh, meeting the Universal Monsters. Uh, so the way I was thinking about doing it is you you know you bring in two stars, um, established stars, which you kind of run into the the problem that you have with rock and roller coaster, where you know maybe they're a little too aged, but you can't have like a flash in the pan either. You need to really bring in an established star. Um, so I was thinking of maybe teaming up, you know, Seth Rogen and Paul Rudd or Adam Sandler and Chris Rock, or you could go a totally different direction with like Tina Fey and Amy Poehler. And basically the premise of the ride is a trackless ride, uh, very similar to Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway, uh, where it's, you know, it's the night of the big premiere and Frankenstein, Wolfman and Dracula are missing. And they're, you know, they're counting on you to get them to the red carpet. And it's just kind of a ride through through L.A., kind of collecting them and getting them ultimately to the big premiere, which you get to attend. That sounds like a great idea. Uh, so more of like a family oriented dark ride. Yeah, definitely. For sure. Yeah, it seems like a good fit. The classic stuff and then also the classic monsters. Good lead in. My first idea is also kind of leaning on that classic monsters theme. This land hasn't been confirmed for Epic Universe, but it's all been all but been confirmed via some of the concept art and the fact that the originally planned Dark Universe land looks like it is definitely not happening because the Dark Universe is about the deadest thing in film right now. Uh, and that would be a classic monsters haunted house, horror house sort of thing. Um, this would basically be a permanent version of a Horror Nights house where since it doesn't need to be broken down and set up and, and is temporary, Universal Creative can really go all out with their ultimate version of what a Horror Nights house walkthrough thing could be since it's permanent and fixed. The special effects could be better. Um, the animatronics could be better. But I definitely do want to have the live scare actors like um, in Horror Nights and also the the full on terror of Horror Nights. This would definitely be an adult attraction, an attraction that, you know, has warnings. There's going to be plenty of stuff in these parks for families, for kids. So I don't think having one truly adult teen oriented attraction with some heavy warnings and maybe even, um, you know, an age requirement like you see a height requirement on, on roller coasters uh couldn't work. Um, I realize this might be kind of unrealistic, not because logistically it would be too hard, but because the idea of year round having to pay um, scare actors to work this and have multiple shifts of them and deal with all the, the rules surrounding live performers and also the liabilities of having live performers in a space where they interact with guests. But Universal does this for months at a time at Halloween Horror Nights, it's considered the premier uh, Halloween attraction in the world for people who like scares, especially the Orlando version. Um, obviously, it's a huge market. Uh, Universal does huge numbers for those Halloween parties. The the people who live in Orlando and work year after year as scare actors love it. I don't think they would have a hard time doing it. And I think Universal Creative could do some awesome stuff to have this permanent horror house. 
and also really lean into those classic monsters that are such a huge part of Universal's identity that they really let kind of fall by the wayside for a long time, but now are, I think, really having kind of a resurgence of people appreciating them and loving them. I know I love them a ton, never have stopped loving them. Bub is also a huge fan, and I think this would just be a a, a super, super cool thing to to have in that rumored universal classic monsters land that's going to be a part of Epic Universe. Listen, we don't know what we're getting yet over there, and I'm excited for that concept you just described, and in general, anything they give us with the classic monsters. I I think that the fact, and again, we've lamented about Universal's insistence of change, that they they tweak and take so many things. I I think short-sightedly, you look at what they did with Amity at Universal Orlando, you look at what they did with Science Park. Now, granted, the Simpsons area and Hogsmeade Village are are fantastic additions to Universal Studios. That's that's not what I'm saying. But you took out two properties, and you don't use the monsters correctly, but you took out Jaws and Back to the Future, which are evergreen property in, in all actuality. Yeah, it ebbs and flows. It, it ebbs and flows. It absolutely does. But I, I just hope that they do the monsters right here. That's all I'm hoping for. And I, I love the concept of a legitimate, scary haunted house because it doesn't sound like we're getting that, to be honest. No, From I don't think we are. What it, you it's, hear. it's strange. Um, I mean, there really isn't a scary haunted house left permanently at any of the theme parks uh you know the haunted mansion is very much a a, a humorous well it's tough fun take on it uh you just don't don't see like truly scary haunted houses in large theme parks anymore uh i think staying on the topic of classics bub what's your next one so i'm i'm gonna i'm gonna throw a curveball because i i do want to talk about my universal classics land but but you kind of got me going into Halloween Horror Nights, and I do want to do a Netflix land. And the centerpiece of my Netflix land is going to feature arguably the hottest Hollow- Halloween Horror Nights property that they have going for the last two or three years. Stranger Things is going to be the centerpiece of this. It's going to be fantastic. And pardon the expression, it might be borderline epic. Now, I don't know that Universal Netflix would ever work out a deal for something like this. But if you really, really, really did it, a Netflix land would print money. And whether you use Stranger Things, whether you use uh, Umbrella uh, Umbrella Academy as as a feature point as well, those are just two shows. I know there's a ton of other. You can have a Flora's Lava stage show in the Netflix land. It would be, you could do so many things with that license in particular, but stranger things would be the focal point. I'm thinking a Hong, a, a, again, a Hawkins lab, kind of what you just described Tim, but a Hawkins lab haunted house where you are terrorized by demogorgons and demodogs and, and the mind flayer big set piece in the back and you're attacked by the guards and it, it would be absolute mayhem and it would obviously be, you know, 14, 15, suggesting, you know, 14 and up, 15 and up. And it would be the it would be a permanent installation of Halloween Horror Nights. The fact that Universal Studios and again, I know it, it would take away from the specialness of Halloween Horror Nights if you had a permanent fixture. But doing a monster haunted house or doing a specific Stranger Things attraction in this area would just it wouldn't take away from halloween horror nights it would just help epic universe be that much more epic 
And I, that's a, a Netflix area with a Stranger Things centerpiece, which would be a haunted house. I think we're kind of going in the same direction with that. Yeah, I think overall, like too, idea. would help the Haunted Horror Nights kind of have to step up their game if there was a year-round attraction. I think they would have to expand, do different things, um, and that's always kind of good for business, too. Um, I think partnering with Netflix is really smart. I mean, they had all that studio space that they used to do. You could, you know, do a TV show, like a, you know, a contest where you could have park guests where, I don't know, it could just be a show where you're, you know, whatever kind of game show for 60 days or whatever, that's just, you know, 24 hours a day kind of deal. And you could kind of have guests kind of going through and, you know, getting a glimpse of what they're doing and how they do it. And I don't know, I think it could be something interesting that they could work out with Netflix. Also, just even the way that they used to have like the Bates Hotel motel sets, like you could bring in things like that from Stranger Things or, you know, different shows that they have going. Yeah, I think uh, I think a Netflix partnership would uh, would definitely be a, a welcome addition to the parks. Um, I know, actually, believe it or not, some of the Netflix properties are represented at, at large theme parks in foreign countries. I think a couple in Dubai, mm-hmm. um, UAE, uh, the some of the bigger parks in the United Kingdom have like one off. You know, Stranger yeah. Things are bigger Netflix property attractions, but they're all just kind of off the shelf roller coasters or flat rides with some light branding of those. So we've never really seen what, uh, you know, e-ticket Netflix uh, property attractions or themed environments could, could look like outside of the stuff that that Universal Creative has done for Horror Nights uh, in those partnerships. Guy, what's your next one? So my next one is kind of a dream come true for me with this podcast is figuring out a way that I would eventually get a full blown wrestling topic onto the show. And I've done it here and there's some legitimacy to it. Uh, So we would finally be getting an official brick and mortar WWE Hall of Fame at Epic Universal. Uh, WWE has a long-standing agreement with NBC Universal, and that deal actually runs out in September of 2024. Um, and a physical Hall of Fame is rumored to be part of that new extension. Um, it was rumored to uh, open up on uh, City Walk in Orlando around 2016. There was a really strong rumor. Uh, with WrestleMania coming in 2017, uh, there wasn't really enough time to get a physical location started. Um, so that rumor kind of died down and WWE shot it down. Um, now I think it would be the perfect time to kind of bring that in. Um, what I would plan on doing is do the yearly Hall of Fame ceremony actually at Universal. You can make it an after hours ticketed event. I mean, you can sell you know, as many tickets to that as people can buy, which is great. You can keep it kind of a low price. And I think for the first year, um, I would be shooting somewhere around 2025. I think for the Hall of Fame, you bring in the, a, a big guest, you bring in The Rock, um, induct him. And then you actually have the physical Hall of Fame itself as well, which I would do, you know, like 50% centerpieces um, and memorabilia that kind of stay. And then you do half of it where it's kind of rotating pieces. Um, That way it kind of keeps it fresh as well. Um, Just like kind of what they do for the WrestleMania All Access too. you could have an entrance ramp, you could have a ring and take pictures, things like that. And then you can also do kind of special things where you could do it the way that they have like 
bibbidi-bobbidi boutique where you know you get turned into a wwe superstar for the day and you get ring attire and they set you up with an entrance theme and you know you kind of record the whole thing i think it's a great way that they could extract extra money um while using a property that's you know very familiar to everybody in the world there's a lot of wrestling fans that love going to theme parks including three on this podcast uh i think this is a slam dunk idea uh, for listeners who aren't super familiar with wrestling or the WWE, the WWE has a long-standing Hall of Fame. They hold a big induction ceremony in a ballroom uh, the weekend of WrestleMania every year. But there has never been a physical Hall of Fame like the Football Hall of Fame or Cooperstown or whatever. It's one of the strangest things. All these other sports have it. Considered a prestigious honor in the uh, sport of pro wrestling to be inducted in the WWE Hall of Fame. And yet there is no physical building for fans to be able to go and 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 look at, at, at that Hall of Fame stuff. So I think with the, the Peacock deal with WWE really um, in a, a great creative place af- with the departure of Vince McMahon and, and the new regime under uh, Triple H, uh, I think this this of all the ideas we're talking about this week seems like the one that is most likely to happen and happen soon. And whether that's in Epic Universe or ends up out on City Walk, uh, I would be extremely excited to see something like this come to fruition finally. Uh, my next one is um, kind of uh, looking to the future of Epic Universe after it opens, and that would be a Legend of Zelda Dark Ride. We already know we're getting Super Nintendo World as the kind of, for most people, big, ex- most exciting part of Epic Universe. Um, we also know that basically the day they cut the ribbon at Super Nintendo World in Japan, they were already breaking ground on its first expansion, which was going to be themed to Donkey Kong and specifically that Donkey Kong Country, kind of the Donkey Kong 64, Donkey Kong, uh, you know, and Diddy Kong and the whole Kong family. Uh, There's like a barrel coaster and another dark ride and shops and restaurants and stuff. Uh, We also know that in Hollywood, Super Nintendo World is going to be kind of like how Galaxy's Edge is on both coasts here, where it's a carbon copy of the the Japan one. And they also will get the Donkey Kong expansion. Doesn't look like right at opening, but probably sooner than uh, than later there. Now, the question is, and a lot of people are assuming that Super Nintendo World, the Epic Universe may very well open with the Mario area and the Donkey Kong area right away. Um, I think it's strange that Donkey Kong was the first uh, expansion that they chose. And now I'm not super familiar. Uh, Donkey Kong might be way more popular in Japan. And because uh, the the uh, engineering and, and creative process for Super Nintendo World was all done in Japan as a partnership between Universal and Nintendo. Uh, but Donkey Kong does not seem like the most relevant video game character in Nintendo's catalog after Mario here in the US. I think that is certainly The Legend of Zelda. Um, all those games from the very beginning have been huge hits. Uh, the most recent Switch one, many people think is one of, if not the best video game of all time. It has a sequel coming out this May. And I think it is a perfect property to have an e-ticket dark ride, uh, very much in the vein of Rise of the Resistance. Uh, heavily animatronic based, not screen based. Universal, you don't get to uh, you don't get to cheap out on this one. Uh, it you know 
very much a family dark ride, but with light thrills, similar to how Rise works. Uh, and have it really be themed around, uh, you know, an adventure and a descent into a classic dungeon because that's such a core part of the identity of the Legend of Zelda series. Uh, but like a totally original dungeon. So it wouldn't just be, you know, going to the water temple from Ocarina of Time or going up the mountain from um, Breath of the Wild. This would be an original temple. So you get to feel like you are Link. And, you, you know, you're the player character venturing down to this dungeon, encountering enemies, uh, you know, going through paths as they open up on the ride car, chests opening and then kind of ending in, in, in something that feels like a, a climactic boss battle. Uh, and then obviously it dumps you out in a gift shop, which has all sorts of exclusive Nintendo Universal Legend of Zelda merch. I think this was a no brainer, obviously expensive, but that, you know, prints money for them. Uh, Things like Super Nintendo World, uh, Avengers Campus, um, Galaxy's Edge. These are the sort of things that attract people who aren't theme park people to come to theme parks. And maybe those people aren't your theme park fanatics who will use all their vacation days to go to a theme park uh, every time. But people who would never visit Universal or never visit Disney, these are the lands that bring them to these parks. And, uh, you know... That, that's a that's a important customer base. I think Zelda is yeah, kind of I, a perfect choice too, just because that's a game where people don't just pick up, you know, one Zelda game, play it, and then that's it. I mean, their fan base has been playing the games for you know thirty plus years at this point, where they don't miss one. Um, I think so that that kind of gets you a wide range of people who, like you said, wouldn't normally go to a theme park. You could get. People in their 50s who have never, you know, have no interest in Universal, but Zelda will kind of bring them in. And same thing with, you know, mid-20s, late late tweens kind of people. Um, definitely makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah, Zelda's a no-brainer. Um, I'm trying to think of why Donkey Kong, Tim, like you said, would be the next. It, it just seems... I, I'm trying to think of a, a good character comparison. It's not quite Horace Horse Collar. It's a little bit more known than that. But it's such a weird character to me to just now base that second part of your golden ticket of a land. In Super Nintendo Land is the, is the golden ticket of a land for Universal Studios. I think more so than even the Wizarding World of Harry Potter, when, when everything is built and everything is ready and you flesh out what Super Nintendo Land is going to actually be, I think it ends up being on par with the Wizarding World and eventually it surpasses Wizarding World for its for its uniqueness. I, I, I mean, listen, at, at the end of the day, video games... Maybe some of our listeners don't care about Super Mario or Zelda, but I will tell you a vast majority of people know those characters, regardless of whether they've played a game or not. And that drives business to that park too. And Zelda to me is, is the perfect, how there isn't just a kingdom of Hyrule land entirely blows my mind for them. And, and there's one other one that I, I, I'm not going to get into because I know that there's another license that, is the elephant in the room that we will get to in a few minutes that obviously also would print money for universal studios. So anything they do with Nintendo is going to make them money. Donkey Kong is fine. 
Go ahead, Tim. Go ahead. Yeah, so I was just going to say, just kind of being not really a, you know, I'd say a half generation maybe younger than you guys. Um, Donkey Kong Country. I know it's a couple of years, but I didn't really know how to phrase it. (laughs) Donkey Kong Country was a huge game uh, for me and my friends when we were little kids. Um, And then just kind of what they have for the design of the ride uh, seems really cool where you're going to be, you know, jumping the track and stuff like that. And that minecart ride, um, it was so frustrating, kind of the level of like a Lion King game where you would just play it for hours and just die and die and die and die and die. And then when you finally got through it, it was euphoric. Uh, yeah. So that's definitely something I'm looking forward to. And I'm not really, of all of us, I'm definitely not the Universal guy. This is something that, this ride specifically is going to get me to Universal for sure. So I don't even disagree with that guy. I, I don't. I, what what I think maybe, and Tim, I'm maybe speaking out of turn here. For me, Zelda is the far superior evergreen property to Donkey oh, Kong. And Donkey Kong's had hits. There's no question about it. But Zelda is just such a, a universal language for people. It's just, it's unbelievable. I, I mean, I think the thing for me that strikes me as strange with the Donkey Kong thing is the Donkey Kong ride sounds great. It sounds like it's going to be one of the best, as long as they pull it off a- as they have concepted, it sounds like it's going to be one of the best rides. But the thing is, a Donkey Kong ride needs to be one of the best rides because there's not that cultural cachet. Um, the other thing is, just talking about video games in general, do we all agree that Super Nintendo World, and it sounds like you do, Bob, is kind of a bigger deal than... Galaxy's Edge, Avengers Campus, Harry Potter, um, Wizarding World. Now, video games, not so stealthily, are now just as important uh, entertainment media as movies and TV, especially with, you know, teens and younger adults and, and kids these days. And I think the theme park business does move very slowly because anything you do there is such a massive outlay of, of money and time and engineering and, and and if it doesn't hit you're you're stuck with it for the next 10 to 20 years but i think i think these theme parks really just like with the music stuff need to lean on their their video game licenses because for the generation who is you know one or two generations younger than all three of us video games are a huge deal and right. they are going to bring people into these parks who would never go to a theme park before. And I I think Super Nintendo World is obviously a step in the right direction. And I think of all the things in Epic Universe, that is going to be the thing that makes Disney say, oh shit, we not only did we not have a a counter punch to this, we we are getting knocked out by this Nintendo stuff. So no matter what they do with Star Wars or the Wizarding World or Marvel, and Marvel less so. I think Marvel is more likely to be able to be evolved into something different. And if Universal was smart, I jokingly said they should put a Marvel superhero land here too because they own the license. So that'd be the ultimate middle finger to Disney. Then we get into rights and they'd be paying Disney at the end of the day, whatever. But fine. I think what you have with the problem you have with Wizarding World, the problem you have with, with Star Wars, especially the way Disney integrate star wars into their parks it's a very finite number of window shopping they do there's only seven harry potter books there's eight movies and then there's the three uh fantastic beasts and where to find them even if they adopted harry potter and the lost child into three movies or four movies it's still a finite story 
told around at most 175 characters. It, where 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 a Super Nintendo Land can be anything you want it to be at any Universal Park in the world. Not that anyone does things like that anymore, but I long for the days of you have to go to Japan to see X ride. You have to go to Hollywood to see Y ride. And you have to come to Orlando to see Z ride. I get the idea of synergy and you're not going to, I want exclusivity in the parks and I, universal has an opportunity with super, with super Nintendo land to do that. They're not going to, I get it. It's, Corporately speaking, it's not a great move for Comcast to have them all spread out. But you could do so much. It's an infinite number of characters and licenses you have with a Super Nintendo Land. As opposed to, like we said, there's at best, at best, 200 characters in Harry Potter. And the way Disney does Star Wars, it treats it like there's only the nine movies and nothing else exists. So well, It's even worse than that with, with, with the way Disney does it. They, they box right. themselves into this very, very, very narrow slice yep. of between two of the sequel trilogy movies yep. and, and box themselves out from ever doing the classic trilogy or the prequel trilogy in any permanent way yep. in, in Galaxy's Edge. Um, so, I, I mean, I think this is just a really untapped potential. Uh, and you heard it here first, guys. Bob wishes theme parks would be more exclusionary, um, you know, more exclusive, <laughs> well, uh, again, more expensive, less accessible. Sure. And, you know, in this in this snippet, I absolutely agree with what you said. I, I get it. I, I get the whole corporate synergy thing where not everyone goes to Disneyland and Walt Disney World. So you got to have Galaxy's Edge in both places. Would it kill them to have original attractions in those lands in both parks? I don't think it would. And I think you'd get more people to travel to both resorts if you did it that way. No, no I'm just ribbing you, but it, it makes copies. perfect sense. Yeah. No, I mean, but let the record show, I want more exclusivity in the parks. Absolutely. I want less people in the parks. I want more exclusive backroom deals like Cutter getting a World Cup. That's what I want. Bub That's what I want. J-Pack right here. <laughs> Bub J-Pack. You heard it here first, guys. And with that, Bub, what is your, uh, what's your, your, your final idea? So, so my my centerpiece to any future expansion goes against what I said with my first one that I think we use the visual medium too much. But universe, I want a universal classics land. Now I don't want the classic monsters. Let me tell you, if you search universal classics, the first like fifteen Google searches are all about monsters. It's nothing about the universal library of films. So I had to do a little digging. But Tim, I did throw one in here for you. I'm starting out with a Waterworld Stunt Show 2.0. We have done, for a show that's 30 years old and a movie that is not very good, we've done enough talking about why we want a Waterworld Stunt Show on this coast. And again, it goes against everything I said three minutes ago about exclusivity in the parks. But a Waterworld Stunt Show, and Tim can attest to this when he checked it out earlier in the year, Waterworld the Stunt Show surpasses everything that the movie tried to be in every way it, it still to this day is the pinnacle of stunt shows in theme parks am i wrong with that tim no no i mean i think universal it's funny universal has pretty much cornered that market because and in universal studios for the born stunt show is probably the second yep. best stunt show in a theme park yep. but it doesn't even come close it's not even in the same air as Waterworld. the 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 spectacle that Waterworld creates is it it's just incredible absolutely yeah. un- unbelievable show so then after you go to Waterworld, you're going to go visit one of the most 
outrageous concepts that are put together on this show. Uh, one that's on par with Guy bringing back like an Abbott and Costello, which I'm not sure anybody even catches the Abbott and Costello reference anymore. But those are some of the guy I meant to tell you when you talk about it. The Abbott and Costello meet insert Universal monster here are some of the best monster movies ever made. They're fantastic. They still go, hold go up check as them comedies out. too. They're they, great. They're great. Yes, they are. I'm going to go one better. I'm going to go Mystery Science Theater 3000, The Experience, where we are going to lampoon uh, some of the classic B movies from Universal Studios. I envision this being very much in the vein of like Carousel of Progress a little bit, a very low key, probably like a sea ticket ride. It's not going to be this barn burner, but you need to fill in experiences. Just some movies I pulled out. Um, the Incredible Shrinking Man, Tarantula, Death Race, all things that are easily mockable by Crow and Tom Servo. Like, just, I, I'm here for something like that. Then, honestly, since we're into this next generation stuff, I want to know what happens if we took Mission Space and elevated that concept into an Apollo 13 attraction. I think it's got all the makings of an easy D-plus ticket, maybe even E. Um, I, I would obviously want to take out the motion sickness aspect of it, but what's the next-gen simulator? That's what I want for this attraction, Apollo 13, the attraction. And again, it's one of those that is recent enough where I think a lot of people have seen it. It's good enough and remembered well enough where it does hold up. I'm obviously then going back to bringing an entire Hill Valley uh, to Universal Epic Universe. Uh, it's going to be some sort of next-gen Back to the Future experience, Tim. I don't know that it's going to be a straight simulator as much as I loved the original Back to the Future, the ride. But I, I think what with how theme parks have advanced even something along the lines of a a hopped up Transformers attraction, Transformers style attraction, or even what they do with the new King Kong with some of the animatronics and and some transportation and some movement. I think you could really crush a Back to the Future experience now. And then one that I'm very excited about, one that I'm I'm over the moon about, and I was thrilled when Guy mentioned bringing back some of like the, the Bates motel sets, or he referenced the Bates motel sets is I want Alfred Hitchcock, the films of a mad genius. That's our working title right now. Universal. You can call me. I've already copyrighted it. So if you want to use it, just let me know. It's going to be in a massive full scale or full and a half scale Bates motel and, and the house on the hill. And it's going to be a great movie style ride, but it's also going to feature like a rise of resistance setup where there's going to be a little bit of a walkthrough portion, a little bit of a 3d motion portion. And then there's going to be a final ride through portion of some of the iconic from like the lady vanishes and and the London Fogger all the way up to, you know, Psycho and the birds and Dial M for murder. There's just his Alfred Hitchcock's library is so ridiculously extensive that this ride, you could almost change out scenes and 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 different things quarterly. It, we need an Alfred Hitchcock experience in the theaters. Now I might be showing my age and my quote unquote, I don't want to say cinephile um, tendencies because I do, I, I think Alfred Hitchcock might be outside of Steven Spielberg, my favorite filmmaker of all time, but his movies are timeless. Uh, he is a legendary name. 
I think you could do so much with just a giant tribute to Alfred Hitchcock. I do realize it is 2022, and most of the target audience for this attraction is my age or older. So I, I get that. But at the end of the day, I, I think they're missing the mark by not having some sort of Alfred Hitchcock experience at Universal Studios. And that's why I'm putting Epic Universe in like phase three. So, Bob, that was you. I'm glad you acknowledged that because that was my question when I, when I saw this on the dock. Um, Alfred Hitchcock, arguably the greatest filmmaker of all time. If you look at like the Sight and Sound 100, the AMC 100, any of these lists, yeah, it's, the top it's 100 films of all time, he's either you know has the most films on it or second only to Kurosawa in in, in how many films uh, are, are featured on these lists. One, but the, yep. the the fact of the matter is, um. The ride you're describing sounds like something that's at the same scale as like a Rise of the Resistance. It, and though Disney has never get out prices, everybody assumes that that ride costs between 300 and 500 million dollars. Right. And I just don't think in good conscience, especially a company that is directly run by Comcast, right. would ever be like, that's it. Half a billion dollars for a right. uh, a a Alfred Hitchcock experience. I just I don't see it's the polar opposite of the Legend of no. Zelda thing. I don't see you could ever recoup your investment on it. No, you wouldn't, Tim. And, and this is uh, I think more of my what I would just dream to build if somebody gave me a blank check. I I just there's so much you could do, and I I love the Kurosawa reference to Seven Samurai might be the most complete film ever made. It it's fantastic but oh god a just a fantastic tribute to alfred hitchcock would just blow my mind and you're right i'm it's never getting made let's be truthful there isn't much in my universal classics land that is ever going to get made uh so i'm excited about just talking about some of the concepts that we came up with today that that was kind of my hope today guy what's your uh what's your last idea for this uh this fantasy booking of the universal or epic universe i should say so my final edition, uh, once again, brings me back to childhood. And I'm paraphrasing here, so don't get too upset if I don't nail this. I wasn't able to pull it up in Google. But when I was a kid, when I heard the phrase, this show was filmed at Nickelodeon Studios at Universal Studios Florida. I know I just spent a half hour watching one of the greatest pieces of television that I think I'll ever see. Um, so I think what my final thing will be will be to bring in not just Nickelodeon Studios and the live shows, but also a whole Nickelodeon land. Um, I think uh, Bikini Bottom is way overdue for some respect. Um, a Krusty Krab, I think, sells a million quick service meals a year. I don't think you could lose money on that ever. They already kind of have the meet and greets at Universal. I think you just really expand on that um, and kind of build more like a, a living set of what that is, where you have, you know, actors in costume, kind of like um, Galaxy's Edge, um, just kind of walking around living in Bikini Bottom. I think there's not really anything for kids so much, like little kids. Um, I think that would be a great start, uh, you know, to kind of get more involved for everyone. Um, and then again, bringing back just the live TV shows, you could do stage shows. Um, you know, they had all that when I was a kid. You could do, you know, a monthly sketch show where you, you know, do a do a different show every month, two times a day, three times a day, where you could take a live audience and kill an hour 
you know, get out of the sun, which I think would be useful, and then just film the TV shows like they used to, and then let people go through the sets when they're not working. Um, I think it's kind of a no-brainer. I know they're repartnering up with Nickelodeon. The studios never really left. They just don't open it to the public anymore. Um, and I think it's a, you know, missing opportunity and something that people loved and people love what they loved in the past. No, I think that's I think it's an awesome idea. And Nickelodeon owns Ninja Turtles now, so we could definitely get some Ninja Turtles in the parks, which would rule. Listen, I'm here for it, guy. If you give me an entire guts set. That's what I'm you got to bring in Michael Malley. He's going to host yep. it. Michael Malley, he's Just not doing anything. We could probably get him on this podcast, land. to be honest. I, I would take a, a, a Guts. I would take, a, you know, a Legends of the Hidden Temple, too. I, I just, some of those shows were just so much a part of, <clears throat> believe it or not, guy, my childhood, too. I know we're a half a generation apart, but, you know, um, it, it's, I, I always enjoyed Nick Arcade, where you kind of went into the video games, too. I think there's, there's so much you could do with Nickelodeon. That's one of my great laments of Universal Studios in general, is that that Ride the Movies era, which we did, Christ him, what, two and a half hours on Ride the Movies? Yeah. The Ride the Movies era of Universal Studios. One of our most listened to episodes, one of the episodes that we still get people saying, oh my God, I remember that when they listened to it. it. It's one of those things that that park was so freaking unique when it had Nickelodeon, when it had the Ride the Movies feel. It was truly glorious in that mid 90s era. It was the best theme park experience if you were a. Uh, like guys, you know, if you were 10 to, to, to 15, 16 years old, that was Universal Studios. That was the park, man, the ride the movies era. So, guy, I'm all for bringing Nickelodeon back to the Nickelodeon studio back to Universal Studios. How could you not want that? Yeah, for sure. Uh, so for my last one, and this is the one that if I was going to bet is going to happen in some form in the future. Of all the things on our list, it's this one, even more so than The Legend of Zelda stuff. And that is a Pokemon-themed kids' land. So Universal Studios has owned the United States theme park rights to Pokemon uh, for years now. Uh, They were getting ready, it looked like, to do something with it. Uh, Right before the pandemic, they were kind of in the proposal stage of getting permits to add a new kids area to uh, Universal Studios property or proper uh, theme to Pokemon. Then the pandemic happened and that kind of all went up in smoke. But I would not be surprised if at Epic Universe we saw this finally happen. Um, You most people don't realize this, but the most valuable entertainment property in the world is not Marvel is not Star Wars, it is Pokemon. Uh, Pikachu is always ranks higher than um, Mickey Mouse when it comes to uh, recognizable fictional characters when you zoom out and look at the whole world, not just the United States. And the fact that even in Japan, there is simply no Pokemon representation in theme parks, period, outside of occasionally you will get a a temporary thing or a pop-up thing someplace in the world. But the fact that there is no Pokemon land or Pokemon attraction in a theme park is absolutely crazy to me. And I think this makes the ideal kids area because kind of the defining characteristic as a childless man of a kids area is it is the part of a theme park that I can skip. But Pokemon, with its 25 year history and immense cultural cachet, means that you can build a Pokemon kids land that not only will parents with kids 
who want to be there also enjoy t spending time in that land while their kids are there, it will bring people into that land, into that area of the park, even if they don't have kids, because everybody has some connection to Pokemon at this point, because it's just been such a part of culture for 25 years now. Um, my vision for it is is definitely more realistic. Um, I, I mean, it would be awesome if it was something as, use the word again, epic as what Super Nintendo Land is, or what Galaxy's Edge is, or even what uh, Avengers Campus is. But kind of what I envision is almost something akin to how the Simpsons area at Universal Studios is, where you could have flat rides that are themed to Pokemon. I think the really obvious one is a um, magic carpet slash Dumbo style ride where the cars are going to be your various bird type and flying type Pokemon. Uh, you can have, you know, kind of one of the up and down rides that are often like jellyfish themed with some different Pokemon you know, probably some water Pokemon. And then you really, you're, you you do a centerpiece ride um, doing the classic uh, universal screen ride setup that's used for Minions, Simpsons, Fallon, that, that you know, individual cars fixed IMAX style screen. And um, that way you can kind of change it out because Pokemon releases a new game with new Pokemon every year or every other year. Uh, I think it's a natural fit for that ride system. You can basically be there on the ground in a stadium for like a climactic, um, you know, Champions League Pokemon battle between Ash and whoever the current rival from the current gen video game is, have, you know, all those, uh, you know, water and mist effects, um, the lighting effects and, and really get the immersive feeling of that you are there during this epic Pokemon battle. Um, I would also say large merchandise location. Uh, Pokemon merchandise sells like hotcakes to kids and adults. You could theme that to a Pokemon center so that all those Pokemon plush, it's not just piles of plush, it's all these Pokemon at the Pokemon center. Um, and then you could do a quick service restaurant that's more of a throwback for older Pokemon fans where it's very much themed to Ash's friend Brock, who uh, was always out there cooking for them in the that early anime that we all grew up with. And, you know, have uh, a very immersive quick service restaurant in the same style as the, the quick service restaurants at Super Nintendo World, uh, where you have, you know, animatronics and screens and stuff that make it look like, you know, Brock and his Pokemon are cooking you guys food. And, and obviously the food would be, um, you know, riffs on the, the iconic foods from the show, be it the foods the Pokemon ate or the foods that Brock, uh, you know, made for, you know, Misty and Ash and uh, all, all their friends. I, I think this is a slam dunk. It, it's of everything that's not in a theme park. I think Pokemon being absent is absolutely crazy to me. Pokemon is hotter than it's ever been between the boom in the trading cards, um, the last couple of video games being massive hits on Nintendo Switch, and the fact that from kindergartners to 40-year-olds, Pokemon is just a huge part of everybody's life, and uh, it's crazy that it's not in theme parks. Tim, you're trying to send me to the poorhouse? <laughs> yeah, I mean, your kids would probably uh, be kind of into to a, a Pokemon land and theme park. Listen... I want the opportunity to just meet Ash from Pallet Town so I can just punch him in the face. That <laughs> took him 35 years to become a Pokemon champion. World champion. Just happened. 
Just, I know, just unbelievable. Spoiler. Tim, I know. I'm very aware. Spoiler <laughs> alert, I guess. If we have huge po sorry guy, I know you haven't caught up with all the episodes yet. I, spoiler I'm alert. Slightly you know? behind, yeah. <laughs> I'm more interested in how Ash has remained 14 years old for 25 years. That's fascinating. It is one of the one of the most fascinating uh physiological experiments in the world maybe he's actually a pokemon tip maybe we Very don't know well maybe be. ash is a, who knows that'd be the ultimate twist dr oak shows up and says haha you're my pokemon and puts ash in a ball that'd be i i tell you what i'm here for it i'm gonna start writing pokemon fan fiction <laughs> i don't think that means what you think it does oh oh well they can get sexy in my fan fiction too tim okay all right well now we're definitely getting the explicit tag um <laughs> I just have one more one more thing on Epic Universe in general. And and that is, I mean, I think it's been clear from this episode, from every time it's been brought up prior, I think all three of us are, are very excited for this. Very excited to see um, the first new major theme park in Orlando in many, many, many years uh, and, and really see what, what Universal can do with this. But I got to say that name. Doesn't Epic just make it feel dated and make it kind of it just feels very 2004 to me epic universe does not feel like a modern and timeless name for the first major theme park opening in america in over a decade so i don't think this will be the last time that we do an epic universe episode i think there's a lot of uh, material to scratch from as things get announced and as Disney continuously sits on their hands. But I read a very interesting article. It's one of those TLDRs because it was like 12 pages long by the time I got to it reading it on my phone and I just couldn't do the whole thing. But every step of the way, we've sat here and said, no, oh, Disney's not doing anything. What did Disney do to combat Islands of Adventure? Does anyone remember? Nothing. It was they didn't they didn't care. They just kept going. And market share. The first year that Islands of Adventure opened, it still didn't drive as many people as Magic Kingdom and Epcot did. So it Epic Universe, to answer your question, let's just keep in mind that it's actually Universal Studio Universal's Epic Universe. So by definition, not only is it dated, it is also redundant. So it is unequivocally a mind-blowingly terrible name that this is that they workshop these ideas they they have these concepts the best we get is i mean at least it's not comcast presents universal studios epic universe because then it would just it but it's it's not any that rolls off the tongue but neither was really islands of adventure i mean universal's islands of adventure didn't really ring and now it's just we kind of accept it for what it is um and let's let's just point the finger at disney's hollywood studios that park doesn't know what it wants to be called so it is one of those things that at the end of the day tim you're absolutely right it's a terrible name for a theme park in 2022 or 2025 when it reopened especially that we're two and a half years away still uh but for me it, it isn't a great name it's redundant and it's already dated and the park isn't even open but I am very excited to watch a park grow. This is really the first theme park domestically, like you said, that we've been able to watch. I understand that when Islands opened and when Animal Kingdom opened, there was the internet and we were able, but it's nothing like it is now uh, where you have the bio reconstruct team out there every day, mapping out where footings are from 5,000 feet with their drones, unbelievable stuff happening. So it's really fun to be able to see it happen. It's just, it's a terrible park name guy. So kind of closing thoughts on me for it with the name. Um, at least they it's 
it's not really classic, but like Epic, I think Epic is going to grow on you. I think it's a name where, you know, the first hundred times you say it, it's going to sound a little annoying and then it's just going to like Costanza, you know what I mean? You're eventually just going to go right off the tip of your tongue. Um, I think what Disney's doing is really smart in, in battling this by doing nothing, and they have been doing nothing for a while. I think, you know, what you need to do right now is take kind of a Buster Douglas approach to this and let Universal keep punching and punching and punching and punching and tiring themselves out. And, you know, you know how Disney does things by 2030, you know, the seventh round, they'll be ready to start throwing their punches once Universal is, you know, spent all their capital and are just trying to regain and get fat. I think that's when Disney will finally give us our fifth gate. But that'll be a long, long time from today. So there you have it, guys. Uh, Bob thinks theme parks should be more exclusive and less accessible to people. And Guy thinks Disney's making a smart play by continuing to do nothing. Um, I think those are the two hottest takes that we've ever had on this show. And uh, with that, I don't think we can top it. So that's our show this week. Uh, if you like this, be sure to look at our back catalog. we got plenty of Universal episodes that people really, really seem to love. More so than the Disney ones, almost universally. Um, and they're available on your preferred listening platform. If you have any questions or feedback or want to let us know what your epic ideas for Universal Studios presents Epic Universe's epic theme park spectacular is, you know, shoot us an email at the Disney guys uncensored at gmail.com or comment them on any of our social media accounts. And if you like what you hear, the best way to support the show is, of course, to tell a friend how much you enjoy it. And as always, thanks for listening to The Disney Guys Uncensored.